You're listening to Heart Food Podcast, episode 24 with Stacy Dawkins. Welcome to Heart Food Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo, nutritional therapy practitioner and private chef. This is a show that tells you the truth about food, nutrition, movement, mental health, mindfulness, and body image all with a hefty dose of real talk. This show will inspire you, change your mindset, and help you feel more confident and comfortable in your own skin inside and out. To find the show notes for each episode and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, visit ashleypardo.com. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ashley K. Pardo. Find me on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Ashley Pardo. If you have a question to be answered on this podcast, please email it to heartfoodpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Heart Food Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have an amazing episode for you today with my friend Stacy Dawkins. She is a yoga teacher, a meditation teacher, and a mindfulness teacher, and I can't wait to get into the episode. A quick reminder that in a few weeks, I'm going to be releasing a freebie that's going to help you a lot with your cooking. The number one question that I get when it comes to cooking and prepping food is like, how do I do this so that it doesn't take over my life? How do I make things tasty and amazing? And why is it so freaking hard to get dinner on the table every day? And the thing is, you know, I talk about a real food lifestyle. I talk about committing to this way of eating, but we all know that if we don't like the taste of our food, then it's not going to last very long or we're going to binge. So that is not the point of all of this. And it comes without saying that when, that when we transition to a real food lifestyle, cooking is involved. It sucks, but like, that's just the reality of it. And the way that I look at it is that every time I cook, every time I prep my food or even sit down to chop, not sit down, but you know, Every time I choose to like chop stuff and put stuff together, I just feel so much better. It's an investment in my health and cooking for me has become a really awesome form of self-care because it's so much easier to eat chocolate and sweet potato chips or uh, just fruits with nut butters. And even though those are fine, we do need to make room for veggies and for proteins. Those are really going to give you the bang for your buck when it comes to feeling full with promoting healthy blood sugar balance and even for weight loss. And we all know that like when we're starving, we, we, we reach for the other stuff. And I want to make it approachable and super easy for you to put food on the table without spending hours in the kitchen. I'm talking like maybe one or two hours set aside every week that you spend some time just chopping some stuff, making some dressings, marinating some proteins, just kind of getting them prepped and ready to go. And then maybe throughout the week, 
putting together your meals, maybe spending 15, 20 minutes here and there. So it's really not as intimidating. And this is what I've been doing with my own clients as I learn how to be efficient with cooking and how to like make things taste amazing because isn't that important for us to be satisfied with our food? I think that loving our food is the only way that we can make a lifestyle like this sustainable. So I'm going to be releasing something free in the next maybe three or four weeks that is going to help you with that amazing, easy recipes and techniques. One technique that you can learn that you can translate into 20 other ways. So you won't have to rely on recipes. You won't have to think that it's so complicated. You won't have to invest hours and hours, but it will be delicious and it will fit seamlessly into your life and it will be health promoting foods. So like if you have a weight loss goal, um, if you just want to feel better, this is going to help you with all of that. And I can't wait to put that out there, but let's get to the episode. So, uh, Stacy and I talk about, we met while we were doing our nutritional therapy practitioner training. Uh, she immediately introduced herself as a yoga teacher and I was just drawn to her because she's so wise and she has such a good vibe And I loved being around her and spending time with her. And she teaches all of these things with her husband. They teach yoga classes. I know they teach some online stuff. You can follow her on Instagram at TXYogaStacy. And this episode really just made me feel so at peace with the way that our mind works because a lot of us can get, especially like if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably somebody who is curious about these things, maybe somebody who's type A. And I used to think, like I mentioned in the episode, that I would get to a place where my mind would just shut off and I would be enlightened if I just tried harder and efforted my way to that. But The more that I did that, the worse that I felt. And once I realized that, like Stacey says in the episode, the mind thinks like the heart beats, that I was not alone in my, you know, struggle to get a hold of my thoughts, that I was not alone in sometimes feeling unworthy or having negative thoughts come in, that this is part of our humanity. So it's really not about making them go away. It's about learning to get to know yourself, getting to know your mind, and then learning to be comfortable in discomfort sometimes and ultimately growing because of that. So this episode really is not just about yoga or mindfulness. It really goes into practical tools for you to not feel so alone in your humanity and to really make something beautiful out of it. I just felt so inspired after talking with her and definitely reach out to her if you want to learn more about her courses. I know she mentions a free one at the end of the episode and also some books that really helped her as well. So let's just get right into it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Stacey. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited too. And you and I met actually in our nutritional therapy practitioner training, which I can't believe that we graduated like almost two years ago. Oh my gosh, I know. Yes, I just got the email that it's time to 
renew. And I was like, what? Two years. <laughs> I know. I know. And that was one of the best times of my life. I really loved being there and learning from everybody. So tell us what you do and kind of how you got to where you are today. Okay. So that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's like a short question. loaded answer. Yes. I'll try to be minimal. Um, so I am a yoga and mindfulness educator. I own, along with my husband, we own three yoga studios in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And alongside that, we also do trainings and retreats. So we train yoga teachers and we have mindfulness and yoga programs and retreats. And goodness, um, I got into yoga, I always have to think, not good with years and timelines, but I have to think about how old my children are. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, it's 20, like 20 something years ago is when I started yoga, when my, I was having my children and my oldest is 21 now. So it's 20 something years ago when I started yoga. Um, I started yoga because I had been doing a lot of cycling. So I used to do road cycling competitively and I did it obsessively and I did it so much that my back was killing me. And so I had heard that if I went to yoga, (laughs) it would help my back. And of course, I went into yoga type A and aggressively like I had done everything else in my life. And Mm -hmm. it actually made my back worse at first because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was just, um, you know, just really forcefully practicing. But little by little, I, I kind of figured some things out and learned to love it. And then from there, gosh, the story just went on. I mean, I eventually did trainings and learned how to to teach and such. And then we opened our first studio in 2005. And then from there, um, Dave, my husband, got more involved and started teaching. And it has just, just taken on its own life from there. And so we own a studio in Mansfield, Texas, Fort Worth, and Arlington. And so, yeah, that's what we, that's what I do. I, um, I teach mindfulness in different formats, mindfulness and meditation. I teach a class on meditation at our studio. And then I did an online course, um, this past year and it's called, um, the science and practice of yoga. And it, we did that alongside a research group out of the University of Texas at Arlington. Mm. And so it takes a sort of psychological aspect of mindfulness and meditation along with the practical nuts and bolts practice of yoga. And we educated in that way. So the way I'm teaching is always shifting and changing. Yeah. And I feel like that's necessary as you Absolutely. as you go along and that's a big part of like being open and flexible adaptable to mm-hmm. what is happening mm-hmm. and i find mm-hmm. it so interesting too because i'm also a you know practitioner of yoga i do ashtanga and i came from that exact same background kind of that you did that like really type a rigid um, and Ashtanga actually, you know, is kind of a mm-hmm. perfect fit for that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just because that is a very, uh, strenuous and mm-hmm. strict type of practice. But through the years, like you, I've kind of softened completely. And it sounds like that's what yoga has done for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about lately how our truth is fluid and, we don't have to say this is who I am and this is what I do and this is how I am 
right now. Maybe we maybe we proclaim that in a day, but it's always changing because every day we have new experiences and all of that adds up to, you know, our truth in this very moment in this day. And so with yoga, absolutely it shifted and changed for me as well. And I love the physical um, sort of practice, like mm-hmm. you describe Ashtanga. What I teach is um, what one would call just a flow or vinyasa yoga, which has its roots from Ashtanga. And mm-hmm. um, so we definitely have that very physical aspect, which I love. But I think that, you know, I, I've learned how to bring more of a restorative attitude even to the physical, the stronger physical practice. And so, yes. yeah. So what are some ways that you see in yourself, um, because I like how you talked about like, you know, the psychology of things and then also like the practical aspect because you do need both. So Mm -hmm. what are some ways that you would um, describe that yoga helps with things that are not visible to the eye? Mm -hmm. So like the cool poses that we see on Instagram, Mm -hmm. uh, that Mm -hmm. focus on the physicality, the focus, especially for us type A people that really want the next pose or something more advanced. What are some things that yoga can bring to our lives that have nothing to do with the physicality? Another loaded question. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I, I, I'm a very big proponent of practicing yoga as a way to cultivate our ability to be aware I mean, bottom line, that's really yeah. what, what yoga to me is, is it's a practice of mindful awareness. And one way, so you, you mentioned, um, you know, the poses and the, I think of there, so there's this aesthetic aspect of yoga and, you know, with the age of social media, we could see it everywhere. I mean, there's just um, beautiful bodies doing these beautiful poses that um, we think, how in the world do they ever, how do they get their body in that shape, right? Yep. I mean, so... I, I think of, let me just say about the social media and the pictures and all of that. I think that I, I see it in, in two ways. One way, I think it's really beautiful. I think that people being able to express themselves and share their passion can be encouraging to others, um, can spark a curiosity in others about the practice of yoga. Um, and then on the other hand, I, I see how as a yoga community, we've we've sort of given this message that yoga you know, is about aesthetics. And this is what yoga is about is looking like this and putting your body like this. And, and so we can be giving a, a confused message to those who don't know about yoga and what it is. Um, but, you know, it, it's always up to our own interpretation and our own perception and our own intention. So we can't really say if, if all of that stuff is good or bad. I think it's neither or both. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as what does yoga cultivate within us beyond the physicality well you I think of it like this so the yoga posture is not necessarily the yoga the yoga posture is a vehicle in which we are practicing yoga within if that Mm -hmm. makes sense Mm -hmm. and so you know how do we define an advanced posture an advanced posture I, I don't know that I could see from the external So, you know, someone may just be sitting and sitting tall and closing their eyes and breathing and and be in a very advanced state of awareness, whereas someone else may be in a very advanced physical looking externally posture, but 
but not be very aware in themselves. So <clears throat> I think that yoga teaches us how to be aware. And one really concrete way that it, you know, it's very easy if we, if we approach it in this way is body awareness. So if we're in a pose, aiming to learn how to embody the pose and feel it from within. In a very simple level, just the alignment of the pose. So I could say, this is how the pose goes. Your knee needs to go right here. Your toes need to go this way. Your arms and shoulders need to be just like this. And this is what we're aiming for. Or I could say, try it like this as a teacher. Feel mm -hmm. in your own body how yes. it's happening because anytime we apply a dogmatic approach to anything we dim down our inner knowing we dim down our intuition we dim down our ability to be um, interoceptively aware you know feeling what's happening in our own body mm -hmm. and so to me yoga is all about cultivating that ability to be aware Absolutely. And that is something that is so important because it acts as a different layer into life, like a whole new dimension. And I love the way that you put that because I'm always a big fan of people kind of being their own stewards in their lives and their own mm. gurus. And you may be mm -hmm. acting as a guide for them to get there because I feel like too, there's this big um, notion right now of like, listen to your body. And people mm -hmm. just say that, like, just listen to your body. But for somebody who has never been aware in their body, has never practiced yoga, has never maybe even done a physical exercise that um, they attach to like an emotion or something like that, people can go their whole lives being unaware. So how do you as uh, a teacher really facilitate that, you know, independence for somebody to be able to tap into their own body to quote unquote, listen to their body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. I, and, and I'm right there with you on that phrase. Um, listen to your body because, you know, we could listen to your body could mean so many different things. And mm -hmm. if I'm in a state of say addiction to anything yes. and someone tells me, listen to your body, well, Right now, all I can feel is I need this or I need yes. that. Um, so yeah, it's a really, it's a really big thing, um, and, and it's this practice of discerning. You know, if someone says to listen to the voice within, even sort of the same thing. Well, which voice am I listening to? Yes. You know, um, and so you know, if we just look at you know the definition of yoga, yoga means to yoke, and yoga means you know, we, there's many ways we could define it, but. It means union, and it means union or yoke with truth, your true self. You could say it's union with God, un un uh, union with you know, universal consciousness, whatever, however you describe it. Um, but it's this discerning how to know the truth within yourself. And there's a deciphering between this sort of, um, you could call it egoic, fear-driven, um, you know, satisfying some sort of need to comfort around the fear and that sort of thing. There's that voice that is within us, our, mm -hmm. you know, our old story, our old tapes. There's that. And then there's, you know, the capital I, you know, my, my truth, which, you know, is, is such a hard thing to define for anyone. Yes. It's something that everyone has to find on their own. But I believe that the more we practice 
just cultivating our ability to observe, to be aware of, to watch, to witness, the more we're inadvertently cultivating that capital I within ourselves. Um, so, you know, I often describe mindfulness as really just establishing ourselves as the watcher, the noticer, the witness. Um, and within that place, you know, that's my, that's my work of being the guide of helping someone, you know, find, find their own way because I can't define it for them. Exactly. And I feel like even when I started my journey into awareness and mindfulness and yoga as a new, like I said, a new dimension to my life, it really gave me so much more than just that cool pose or whatever. I believed that like my teachers and my yoga teachers were like these enlightened beings Mm -hmm. who were, who I always (laughs) had to listen to, who, you know, I, I would kind of put what they would say before what I would think or say. And I feel like that is something that is prevalent as well. When I think what you're saying too is like yoga teachers as guides, it's almost harder to develop your own voice than to listen to what someone else is telling you. Yeah. If we don't, um, if we're not thinking of that, if that's not exactly. on our mind, you're right? Because I think that um, as a society or I don't know, as a human race, we're always looking for someone else to be able to tell us how to do it because yep. isn't that easier? So much easier. So <laughs> yeah. much easier. Yeah. I, I, gosh, this is to me, this is like, you know, central to our purpose here in life. You know, it's like what we're talking about right now is like, do we do we continue just looking for the answers externally? Do we continue looking for some formula, some methodology, some diet, yes. some teacher who can tell me how to do it? Because then I don't have to awaken to myself. I don't have to be vulnerable with myself yes. and listen to my truth from within. Um, yeah, because that's, and I've been there. My gosh, I've been my there. God, me and, too. And, I, and still, in so many ways in my life, I'm just doing my the best I can to to notice that and to, you know, I think there's this, and this is part of what I'm, you know, the, the book I'm writing is called Embodied Posture. Mm. And so it's all about learning how to feel from within again. And so I'm giving very concrete ways of, it's an, it's an alignment book, it's a yoga alignment book, which gives very concrete ways of understanding biomechanics in the body, mm-hmm. but taking the, taking those truths, those facts, quote unquote, and combining them with our own inner experience to uncover our own truths and our own alignment, you know, just starting with our bodies on the mat. But, you know, to me, that's everything. So how do we combine and honor all of the teachings that we're given and, you know, honor them all, respect the teachers, the books, the online sources, wherever we're getting it from. How do we take that and make the most of it by learning how to apply it and feel it from within and then decide how it might be a little different for us? We might need to do it slightly differently. Yes. And that really does take a lot of courage because like we've said, it's easier to listen to somebody else, to get a book, to Google what you're looking for, to try, you know, to have somebody give you a meal plan or something because that gives like certainty and control. 
You know, like if I just do this thing, then I'm going to get X result, whatever that may be. Absolutely. But but opening ourselves up to trying to figure out what works for us by listening to those kind of discerning which voice we're listening to that kind of steers us in the right direction is harder because it opens up the possibility of failing. And yes, that's exactly what I was just thinking. It's risky. It's totally risky. It might not work. You know, I might be wrong. I might make a decision and be wrong. It's also this, um, this underlying, we have a hard time standing up for ourselves and speaking our own truths and saying, actually for me, this is what I'm feeling. And this is how I'm going. This is how it needs to be for me because this is what I'm feeling. And this is the truth for me. Um, but you're so right. We might fail. Yeah. Yes. And that's yeah. what makes it difficult or, and risky because I think that in so many areas of my life, I've learned that I can either control or I can trust. Mm-hmm. And it feels better at the onset to be controlling because then like mm-hmm. everything can kind of like be packaged and tangible. Like I have this thing, this exact path that I'm going on. But in the long run, that doesn't feel good to me because like you said, that voice inside of me might be diminished and I don't know how to, and I have not learned how to develop my own voice and to trust that that voice and what I want is okay for me. And like we've said, that is more difficult, riskier, but in the long run, it feels better because then eventually you know, not in 10 days or three months or however long we hear so many of those promises, eventually with trusting and failing and maybe taking two steps back, we eventually will step into that truth for ourselves mm-hmm. as long mm-hmm. as we trust. Mm-hmm. Especially, and, and maybe, you know, my, my hope is that that process, you know, you said not 10 days or three months. My hope is that if we have, if we cultivate ourselves as teachers, you know, you in nutrition and myself in yoga and mm-hmm. mindfulness, and if we can cultivate ourselves as teachers of that, then maybe for some that process could be could happen a little more quickly. I don't know, or a yes. little more um, clearly. And and that's that's my hope as a teacher is that um, I can say. I'm sharing this with you, and here's a, here's something I've figured out. But my hope is that you take this and you make it your own. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah, because I think that there's this culture too of like instant change, of like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, buy my program or read this book, and your life's going to be different in 15 days. And as a culture that's really attractive and sexy. Like, Ooh, I only have to put in the work for 15 days or Mm -hmm. 30 days or whatever it is. But this stuff that we're talking about is really a lifelong thing that never ends. Like we Mm -hmm. never get to that point where we arrive and we're enlightened. Like you said at the beginning, it's something that we have to continue to be open and fluid to the changes in our lives. And I feel like putting a time restriction on it or saying that something can happen in a certain amount of time. First of all, it's different for everybody, but it really diminishes the awakening that can happen if you learn to kind of be patient and being okay with your own specific individual path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
which I think is exactly, you know, which I think is kind of the opposite of what we're told in our society. Like everything is quick and fast and it's not as attractive to tell somebody, Hey, try this way. It might take, take longer. I don't know how long it's going to take, but you will get so much out of it eventually. Right. 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 Uh, what are some what are some ways that you think that people can learn to like you said there were two voices that we kind of all have we have that mm-hmm. one that kind of wants all the time and is maybe addicted or whatever to so many different things and we have a deeper voice that's unknowing and for somebody who's just starting out how can they discern the difference between those two and mm-hmm. like, what are some specific tools that you would recommend? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm really big on embodiment and interoceptive awareness and, you know, feeling, feeling from within. And that's one of those things that, you know, you tell people and it's like, oh, that sounds like the long road. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> You're, sounds like the long road because we have, I am a believer that we are born with this internal guidance system that we just we forget how to use it because of what you've been saying. We're looking to the external. We're looking for someone else's plan, someone else's rules, someone else's way, um, which are all valuable things. But we forget to blend these methodologies, these ways, <clears throat> these applications with our own inner guidance system. And it, and it really comes back to feeling. And so for myself, I might ask myself the question, is what's the quality of this thought I'm having? Mm. Is this a good feeling thought? Is this a bad feeling thought? Is this a frantic? What's the underlying tone? Is there a, um, a fear, a franticness, a urgency to it? Or is there a groundedness? Is there a spaciousness to it? So that's one way is to just feel What's the underlying, what's the quality of this thought or this voice, as you said, which voice, how to discern? So how, do, how is it feeling? Take time to pause and feel. Is it a thought that catapults you into a quick reactive action? Or can you increase that space between stimulus and response? Can you wait a while mm. and feel it for a bit before responding or before reacting? And then the other tools that I use myself and teach, and I've mentioned this, but it's just the practice of mindful awareness that simplistically is about establishing yourself as an observer. Mm-hmm. And I just want to mention a resource here that I love. Um, a- another teacher and author, his name is um, Dr. Dan Siegel. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. I've Last heard of name. his name. <clears throat> Yeah, last name is spelt S-I-E-G-E-L. And he, let me think, I don't want to say um, wrong about who he is, but I think he's a medical medical professor at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's author, he's written many books. I, he's this great, um, he has one foot in the scientific world and academic world and one foot in the spiritual spiritual world. Um, that's how I define it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my, my definition or my observation of him. But he teaches something called the wheel of awareness. 
And I, I love using the wheel of awareness and teaching mindfulness because it helps people um, grasp it concretely and clearly because it can be very confusing. What am I doing when I'm, med- when I'm meditating? What does oh, it mean absolutely. to be mindfully aware? Yes. And he presents this really simplistic method of, <clears throat> you can take a look at it and then listeners, if you want to um, use that resource from, um, you put, yes, I'll put notes. it in the show notes. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, but it's basically, you know, I might take five or 10 minutes to sit and meditate and all I'm doing is establishing myself as the observer of whatever I can observe and I can choose that. So I might just observe my own breath, the feeling of my breath. Maybe there's a sound of my breath and my, my practice is just to observe it as it is not to get caught up in needing to describe it or get caught in a story about it, but I'm just observing it, the felt sensory experience of breathing. I might choose to practice being aware of the sounds around me. I might just sit and close my eyes and listen for sounds, establishing myself as an observer. Mm -hmm. I might choose to sit and observe my body sensations, just as they are, not needing to define them or wonder why or make a story about them, but sit and feel the sensations around my chest, in my belly, in my joints, in my muscles. And so much like exercising a bicep, I'm exercising my muscle of observation. I'm just watching, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm noticing what's arising within myself or within my senses. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that is something that I have been practicing for a while now. And it is difficult to be a non-judgmental observer. I think that that part is really important too, Mm -hmm. is to Mm -hmm. not make something out of it. Uh, Because we all have, and this is something that um, I wanted to talk to you about as well, is that we all have these like conditioned stories and narratives Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. go on that, you know, came from our environment. We were told something when we were little, and then we have carried that into our lives that has become this belief that we act out on in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. becoming a non judgmental observer of that, as opposed to getting hooked by it or doing something about it or being mean to ourselves, is something that's integral. I think, to kind of let it be without spiraling down, uh, which is very easy to do also because it's a habit. Yeah. Yeah. I I love, um, you know, that way of looking at our own behaviors. And I think of them like, so we have these automatic autopilot ways of being in our lives Mm -hmm. And, and it's what you just described. So it's, you know, our lives, um, our <clears throat> our minds, our brains, even are this culmination of our life experiences from moment one, right? Um, mm-hmm. So we have all this culmination of experiences. What I love to think about is that we have this culmination of experiences, as you describe, that create our story. And so something happens when we're little, and we are we make something mean something, and then the rest of our lives we apply that experience to every experience that comes even close to to that original experience. And yep. 
Yeah, but what's really cool is that it's not just the way we think about it. It's actual neural wiring yes. in our brain. Yes. And I love that idea. Oh, my brain wired itself. So I had this old computer programming. Yes. I had this old computer programming that I'm still letting run me every single day of my life. And that's our autopilot way of living. And we could go decades living that way. We could live our whole lives that way. But as I practice establishing myself as observer, like I described in mm -hmm. observing breath, observing sounds, I'm also, I'm also cultivating my ability to see those auto behaviors. Like, ah, oh, every time I get a text from that person, I respond in this way in my body or in my mind. Or every time I encounter this situation or every time I go home, you know, and, and visit so-and-so, ah, I do this thing. I feel this way. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, so I start to, instead of day by day, just letting my old programs and my auto behaviors run my life, I begin to choose to live my life on purpose. Yes. Okay, I'm going to observe because it starts with recognition. The only way, and it, it, the cool thing is this is common humanity. This is all of us. It's not just you. It's not just me. Yep. We're, we all have this interesting human condition. And the moment we start to choose to establish ourselves as observers of ourselves, then we immediately begin to shift that. That's the only way we can recognize this auto-programming from our past. We can see it. We can recognize it. And as soon as we start to recognize it, we're on to it. We're on to it, and we have a choice to choose differently. A hundred percent. Yeah, not always easy. No. <laughs> but that's where it begins. We have to just be, be willing to be vulnerable with ourselves and recognize what's arising within us so that we can choose differently. That is all so good. All of this stuff that you're saying, because I really think that we can blame ourselves for having these things like, oh, I'm just a crappy person because I'm having this thought again. And oh, why do I have to think this way about me? Why have I let this story run my life for so long? But when we learn that it's an actual like physiological thing yes. that is happening in our brains, that really takes the edge off. Yes, that's, that's such a good point. And like a, approaching this, as soon as we t begin to take on a practice of mindful awareness and we begin to observe ourselves, it's not going to get anywhere unless we do it with a mindset of compassion mm. and passion and self-love because what, what tends to happen, what can happen is we, okay, I'm going to observe myself and I'm watching myself and I'm like, oh, why do I act that way with food? For yes. instance, yep. what is, what Such is a popular this? Thing. Oh, you suck and you still can't control what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And like you still go for the crappy food, even though you know it's not good for you. What's wrong with you? So I might say I'm an, I observe myself and I see myself act in a certain way in my relationship with food. And then the, what might happen without awareness is I get sucked right back into the old feedback loop of blaming myself. But truth is, that's what I've been doing my whole life. And so it's like I can get sucked back into that loop or I can just say, ah, I see this happening. And, and here's some, a method I like to use myself. Mm -hmm. I, I might say to myself, 
it's okay. It makes sense that you would feel that way about food. It's okay. And so there's this practice of wrapping our loving arms around whatever is arising. And in a sense, allowing it. It doesn't mean condoning it, and this is the way I'm going to be the rest of my life, but it's okay. And giving it almost like a you know, self-love hug, mm-hmm. whatever arises. And believe me, even hearing, hearing myself talk this way now, 10 years ago, I'm, I was like, whatever, self-love, I know. that's crap. You me know, too. Yep. I don't need that. I'm mm-hmm. just going to dig my heels in and do the work. Yes. Whoa, well, I've humbly learned yep. that it doesn't, I just stay stuck in the same feedback loop if I can't approach these practices with self-compassion and self-love. So recognizing it and allowing it and then, you know, nourishing it, you know, giving it some love, giving whatever's arising within ourselves. And then maybe from there, there's a little more investigation. You know, maybe, maybe if something keeps arising for us and we keep noticing it, maybe there's time to do expanded journal, you know, reflection, journaling, self-inquiry and things like that. But I think first and foremost, we have to be kind to ourselves. Absolutely. Because I think that also we can meet ourselves with resistance too. Mm-hmm. That, that we won't want to want to do that. Mm-hmm. And we'll resist. Sometimes I think we have to feel something that doesn't feel good in mm-hmm. order to pass through it. Mm-hmm. So we will spend time resisting that thing and doing whatever else, distracting ourselves, eating something, you know, trying to get out of the present moment in whatever way we choose. There's so many ways, but really feeling and allowing that thing. And again, having that openness and fluidity to it is really what allows it to pass through you. So true. So true that I think that early on, and this is, again, not just me or or you, but the human condition is that somehow in in many different ways we're taught that it's not okay to feel those things. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as something arises within us that makes us feel those things, we are, we are self, we're conditioned to shut it off. Yes. Like that, that's not okay to feel that way. Yes. Uh, and so we kind of shove it down and in. And, and my thoughts on that are, you know, that unhealed things within ourselves just kind of live in our bodies in some mm-hmm. way. And not until, until we <clears throat> just allow them. Like it's human. It's a part of our human experience to be fearful, to be sad, to be angry, to be jealous, you know, whatever, all of these things, and just to allow them and allow that the embodied sensory experience to, to be there. There's such healing in that. Yes. And there's also, I think, a stigma around feeling negative emotions. Because now we live in this culture of like, you know, just look in the mirror and smile or, you know, you know, the the law of attraction, for example, which I'm a big fan of, but I think sometimes Mm -hmm. people can really blame themselves and Mm -hmm. get down on themselves. And like you said, I love that you said that you are not alone in this, that this is a human thing because Mm -hmm. we can go our whole lives blaming ourselves. Like, why do I feel sad right now? Why am I not happy all the time? And there is this pressure, I think, to like, never allow a negative thought to come into our lives. And I always think of Ram Dass, who's another 
mm-hmm. spiritual teacher. And he yeah. has this quote that says, I want to eat it all. Not literally, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But experience the full spectrum of feeling down and feeling happy mm-hmm. and joyful and really embodying all those things. So how would you say that it's important to, again, allow ourselves to feel whatever it is that we need to feel and really not judge? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, that reminds me too, I think it's Rumi's, in Rumi's guest house. Are you familiar with that? Yes, yes. And, and there's something about just invite it all to tea, whatever yeah. arises. <clears throat> and I think one way that's helpful for me is to really understand that my relationship with myself is a has a direct tie to so I'll say my relationship with myself my ability to see myself my ability to hold myself with kindness and compassion in a non-judgmental way is a direct correlation to how I hold my relationships with others how I can hold kindness and compassion for others and not blame others or um, wrong others. So the one way to think of that is if your best friend came to you and shared a a problem they were having with themselves with you, maybe they did something wrong and they're sharing it with you, how would you respond to them? You know, how, how would you respond to that? And I imagine, you know, you'd respond to them with kindness and yes. love and tell them you'd wrap your loving arms around them and tell them it's okay, you know, but when you internally yourself, you have a problem or you see something wrong, quote unquote, within yourself or something negative, quote unquote, within yourself, how do you respond to it? And this practice of wrapping our loving arms around whatever arises and offering it kindness, you know, is, is what I'm hoping to get to with myself. Like that, that's my practice. It's not because if not, I'm just getting caught in that loop of judgment, self blame, resentment. And I just stay on that merry-go-round if not. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that those bad feelings might never go away and that's okay too. Yes. You know, it's not like we get to a place, like I was saying before, that I used to think all my yoga teachers were these enlightened beings. And I thought Mm -hmm. that that was the point that like, I'm going to get to this place where I'm only ever going to have loving thoughts and it's all going to be wonderful. And it was, it was disappointing for me to realize initially that, you know, those thoughts might never go away. But what's important is like you're saying to be able to take that seat of the observer and to come at it with a non-judgmental approach. Yes. So one way that I just describe that in a really simplistic model is like, there's a, if I just took a, a whiteboard and I drew a little roller coaster on it, mm-hmm. here's a roller coaster. This roller coaster can represent our, you know, our thoughts and our busy mind. And there's a seat, there's the roller coaster cart and, you know, we can buckle ourselves in, put our arms up in the air and just go for a ride on that all day long. Or we, there's this beautiful, you know, well, maybe not beautiful, but just a seat in the grass beneath the roller coaster that when I can access that seat, I don't have to make all of that stuff stop on the roller coaster. 
but I can get a little space from it and I can witness it. Mm. I can observe it and I can see it. So the same with ourselves. Like, like you say, we don't have to, we don't have to stop the thinking or even the negative thoughts or the negative emotions or feelings, but can we practice observing them? So we're not letting it take us for a loop-de-loop all day long. We have moments of practicing observing it. And I think that's everything. Absolutely. And uh, Pema Chodron is another um, mm-hmm. author I love. And she has a Me similar, yeah. I love her. Um, yes. She was the one that really made it, really gave me the permission to have my full spectrum um, yes. of emotions and thoughts. And that like, it's okay if I'm down sometimes. That's just part of this collective experience that we all have. Mm-hmm. And she talks about, a similar, you know, beautiful analogy that you just mentioned, which is us being the sky and the emotions mm-hmm. being just the weather that are passing mm-hmm. through and changing always mm-hmm. and embodying something else. And going back to, um, you know, those stories that we have in Brene Brown's book, I think it was Rising Strong. Um, she said something that really resonated with me. That was when we have these stories and these uh, cemented beliefs in our brains that we will actually live our lives and go through reality searching, sometimes subconsciously, for that Mm -hmm. evidence. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. to like, kind of like you said, grasp at anything that will prove to us that these stories are true. Yes, absolutely. I believe that as well. It's so that really changed things for me too. And because I'm like, oh, it's just a habit that I'm going to, um, and that my brain actually likes to look for these things. But again, they don't have to be true and they don't have to define me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Another thing that's big right now too is meditation. And Mm -hmm. you said before you are a meditation teacher, and Mm -hmm. I've been meditating uh, for the past few years. It's been a huge practice for me to develop that seat of the observer. Um, And I hear from a lot of people that say they're bad at meditation. Yep. So what do you think about all of that? And how would you encourage somebody to begin their own meditation practice? Yeah, I love this question. Uh, (laughs) I also hear a lot of people that say they're bad at meditation or it's too hard. Yes. Now, here's the number one thing that I hear from like, this is to me, the number one misconception about meditation is that, you know, I just had a class last week that I had some new students and I said, so, so what are we doing? What do you, what is meditation? When you sit to, to practice meditation, what are you hoping to accomplish? And in several different ways, the answer was, well, I'm just clearing my head. I'm just clearing away my thinking for a while. Mm. And I think my opinion is that's the number one reason why it's not practiced. I say that the, and and I heard something similar to this from someone and I can't remember who I heard it from an author, but it's the heart. I would see the, the, the mind thinks like the heart beats. That's what our human minds do. Mm. And so if someone thinks I have to stop my thinking, I have to clear my head. Well, then of course you're going to think you suck at it because the human mind thinks and again, it's like this roller coaster. Our job, our practice is not to shut all that off, but it's to take a seat in the grass beneath the roller coaster and observe. So the same part of me that observes my breath 
is the same part of me that observes my thoughts. So whereas many people will think they're sitting, okay, now I'm going to feel my breath. I'm going to listen to my breath. I'm going to meditate. And then inevitably in about two minutes, what happens? Yep. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about something else. And then, I'm, and then the tendency is, shit, <laughs> I suck at this. Yes. I can't meditate. But what I say is the moment you notice a thought, that's a miracle moment. That is a high state of observation. You notice yourself thinking. Beautiful. Now, you can anchor into your breath again. Sometimes I use thought as the object of meditation. I'll say, okay, just sit and watch for the next thought that arises. It's a really cool experience. For people to understand, when I observe myself thinking, that is mindful awareness. I'm not going to let myself, I'm practicing not going on a tangent or a long story about Mm -hmm. the thought that arises, but I'm observing it. I see it. Beautiful. If we could, if we could train ourselves to see our thoughts throughout the day, whoa, life changing. So that's what I say about it. Like just practice something to observe. Maybe your breath, and it's sort of an anchor. So maybe you just observe your breath. And then know that, yes, inevitably thoughts are going to be coming through your mind because that's what your mind does. Thank God we can think. Mm-hmm. But observe, just observe. And you, and you might, you know, a method might be you say thinking when a thought comes up. And I say smile at it. Don't say, damn, I screwed up again. But sm- yeah. Smile at it. Ah, oh, I observed a thought. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that is mindful awareness. I'm going to anchor into my breath again. And when people truly get that, then they can be good at meditating, whatever good is. Like, yes. they can feel comfortable with it. Oh, I'm normal. Yes. My and mind it, is thinking, yeah. Yes. <clears throat> and, it, and it doesn't have to be a huge deal either. Absolutely. Um, it can be just a couple minutes. Yes. Um, you know, once a day, as long as you, I think, and I just wrote an Instagram post about this. And I think the most important part is just deciding to do it and just showing yes. up like yes. that's enough. You don't have yes. to accomplish something or get a reward or, um, or anything like that. The fact that you showed up for yourself and took a moment to observe and to really prioritize that even if it's just for like two minutes I think that that's the whole point absolutely it's like you know I'm going to take this these few minutes in the, in the morning or whatever I'm going to take these few minutes to establish myself as observer as witness so that I can carry that with me throughout my day yes it's not a separate I mean it's it is it is this you can make it this formal practice which I do believe in the formality, even if it's a two minute formality of Mm -hmm. sitting and having a space. And I think that's really important having for myself anyway, having some structure around it, some formality, but it's not, here's my practice and here's my life the rest of my day. Here's my practice so that I can establish a way of being for the rest of the day. Exactly. Even if it ends up me just observing, wow, my mind is really busy today. Yes. That's a beautiful thing. Observe that. You're still establishing yourself as observer. One quick other thing I want to mention about mm-hmm. meditation that I think is gets people tripped up sometimes on even approaching it is that there's a lot of talk in the world about this sort of specialness with meditation. Like, um, 
oh, I found my, you know, fifth chakra today. And today I finally saw purple in my meditation and I'm really getting it. Or I, I found myself in, you know, um, you know, a hundred years ago and I was at the temple of blah, blah. And and here, let me say, I can't say what anyone else's true experience is. Maybe these things arise. Who am I to say? I don't know. But I think that if we, there doesn't have to be, you know, people could know there doesn't have to be this specialness to meditation. It is simply establishing yourself as noticer. We're not looking to achieve any special state to get any specific special thing from it. Like you said, it's just this intention of showing up for yourself and establishing yourself as, as observer, as noticer. That is an amazing point because that is something that's really happening now. Like people going into different states, um, you know, almost getting high off of meditation and and going somewhere else. And I feel like that just puts another pressure, another layer of uh, something to accomplish. Yeah. And then we can all, and then another reason for us to get down on ourselves if that's not happening for us. But yeah, the showing up and the intention is. For me, you know, and I think for a lot of other people, the whole point of it, and I think it's so beautiful what you said too, that analogy that you said of the mind thinks like the heart beats, that is huge Mm -hmm. because we can also get Mm -hmm. down on ourselves for the mind continuing to think, but that is its nature. Mm -hmm. That is Mm -hmm. like, again, a physiological thing the mind goes to the worst case scenarios, it Mm -hmm. reverts back to our old patterns. Um, You know, it's automatic. So Mm -hmm. that is such a beautiful thing to say and something that I want people to realize as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something that you said too, that I think is huge is really having a practice of self care, self love and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you, that to me was super weird. And I was like, I don't need that. I'm just going to work harder and I don't need to be soft with myself. If I'm soft with myself, then I'm not going to get anything done. Um, (laughs) But those uh, develop, that's another layer I think that we can develop that compassion, forgiveness, love, and care that allows me to listen to my voice better. It just gives me everything else. Like I'm filling my cup every single day Mm -hmm. and then everybody else gets you know the best of me because I'm taking care of myself so in what ways Mm -hmm. have those practices helped you I know you kind of talked about that but how can people really develop those you know self-love things in their lives to have a really embodied um you know practice and way of being Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you know, one way of thinking um, for myself is that kind of going back to we're always we're always looking for these ways to practice mindfulness or meditation, to practice being more aware, to practice improving our nutrition, our diets, our our physical um, regimes, whatever they may be. And there's so you know what I'm learning in my in my own life, and you know those are we want to take on these practices that take some effort and some work, but there's so many natural states of that that can arise within our lives if we allow it. And it's really, it really comes back to those things that feel that uh, bring joy to us. So, you know, doing more things that 
<clears throat> bring us joy um, or, you know, bring happiness. Like, for instance, you know, I went on a hike by myself yesterday and I just haven't done that. I don't go on hikes by myself. And, I'm, you know, I love being with other people as well. But yesterday I just went by myself on this beautiful hike and it was just I found myself just standing with my jaw dropped just staring at the birds and at the mm-hmm. sun and that. And, you know, when I allow myself to have those experiences that are just joyful, then, gosh, I think that's such a high form of self-nourishment and self-care because those affect us physio- physiologically. Absolutely. You know, th- those experiences in our lives affect our endocrine balance as much as the food we're consuming as Mm. much as, you know, managing, you know, managing stress. And, but what I'm trying to say is that we're always trying to take on these methods of practicing things, you know, whether it be meditation or mindfulness or exercise or nutrition, but just stepping away from the practice and just allowing natural states of joy to me is the highest form of, self-care, self-nourishment. Yes. And I know, gosh, I see a direct correlation in my allowing myself to have those experiences to my productivity in my work, Mm, to mm -hmm. my level of passion being exuded in my work, to my excitement about my work and my teaching and things like that. So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and I think too, for people that are maybe trying to get healthier, at the onset, they might think, well, all I have to do is just exercise and diet. And yeah. that's going to solve everything. And sometimes for some people, especially people that, um, you know, I know a lot of the listeners are in the place where they feel obsessed with food, they can't mm-hmm. be social. So they take on this isolated existence, where they're just eating at home, Mm -hmm. and they're just, you know, moving all their social engagements around so they can exercise, and that becomes the number one focus. Mm -hmm. And often, like you said, you know, facilitating joy, doing things that you actually love, taking time for yourself, spending time with others, like whatever that thing may be for you is just as important as the diet and exercise. Yeah, just as important. It's like we can only get so far in our wellness you know, if that's why we're looking at it, we can yeah. only get so far, make so much progress. Um, you know, if we're, if we're not including that piece, exactly. because even if we're, you know, eating all the right ways to balance our, you know, insulin, you know, levels out again. And if we're staying in this sort of bound up, you know, in this sort of bound up stressed state because of having to control our food and control our exercise and all of those things, we're, guess what? We're affecting our cortisol and we're affecting our insulin levels in a way that's counterproductive to what we're attempting to do with our food or whatever it may be. Um, and yeah. that's one of those things that, gosh, it just seems, I don't know, it seems challenging for some of us. It's like, um, and I'm speaking partly for myself too, just remembering that. Yes. Um, but gosh, the more, you just you know, just feeling it. Being with people you love, being in conversations that you love, doing things that you love, um, you know, if we can get to this embodied state of it, just like you eat a certain way and then you notice how does it feel? I'm sure you work working with your clients, you yes. know, try this and then notice how it feels in your body. Mm-hmm. Well, try 
for me, try going on a hike, going on a hike by yourself in a beautiful place and see how it feels in your body. Whoa. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I feel like too, when we, let's say we have a food that doesn't make us feel awesome, for example, but it's a food that we do love and that we want to eat sometimes, which I Mm -hmm. think can be a healthy relationship with food. Um, You know, sometimes eating things that don't make us you know, feel, you know, not bloated or whatever. There are foods sometimes that just don't feel awesome. But I mean, obviously not going all the way to like a food allergy or something that like really hurts you, but maybe something that just makes you feel a little bloated, a little foggy. I think if we eat those foods with people and are in a really loving environment with awesome conversation, the food doesn't end up affecting me as much. Exactly. Yeah. It's like how, what is our attitude with what we're consuming or what we're doing? And, you know, I I wish that we could see, you know, of course we can't, but exact science around, whoa, I can imagine the science is amazing. Like how our body assimilates the nutrients from that food, how it uses it metabolically, you know, when we're in a state of, um, gratitude, joy, you know, whatever it may be with that food. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's really important too, because like before I got to this place where I was comfortable doing that, I lived in that really like isolated, you know, I'm only going to eat these foods because this is what makes me feel perfect or whatever. When you're in that perfectionism state and I'm only gonna, you know, I'm never going to miss a workout. And then maybe I'd eat that food like by myself and stressed out and it would affect me 10 times more. So like you said, I wish we could see some science around that. Um, But it's just important for people, I think, to make sure, like you're saying, to live this life that is nourishing in, you know, completely different ways. And I'm interested too, food is such a heavy topic. Um, Mm -hmm. It's getting to be like religion or politics. (laughs) So how would you describe your own approach to food and Mm -hmm. how you encourage others to, you know, develop that practice as well? Yeah. um, Well, you know, everything that we've been talking about with establishing ourselves as as observer, um, the the practice of mindful awareness, really everything we talked about, even all the way up to what we just talked about with the joy and experience, I, you know, that is my approach to food. You know, I, from what we learned together at nutritional therapy, um, school is, you know, I I believe that real whole foods are the way to Mm -hmm. go. Um, I believe that there are many intelligent, what would you call it, uh, methodologies, um, applications. I will even use the word diet um, mm-hmm. for, for sake of saying something wrong here. But like we'll say paleo, for instance, there's paleo, there's ketogenic diet, there's the, you know, whatever else you want to call it. I think there's some really intelligent approaches. But just like everything else, I want to be cognizant of those approaches and how they actually feel feel within me and, you know, honoring other people's work and ideas in combination with my own unique experience and knowing that I have a very, you know, unique history in my body genetically, um, life circumstantially, and I need to really feel my own way through 
through these methodologies. But to me, they always come back to whole real foods. <clears throat> and so that's really my, my basic my basic understanding of nutrition and my own body. Yes. And, you know, I totally agree with all of that. You know, do what works for you after some practice. Again, being willing to try things out and see how they actually feel in your body and then making mm -hmm. a discerned, like a really deliberate decision of like, is this worth keeping in my life all the time? Or should I be a little bit more... Um, you know, just cognizant of how I am eating in relation to how I want to feel every day. Exactly. And I think um, one important thing of, I'm trying to think, of, you know, how to articulate this, you, you've mentioned it, but um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I know for my own genetics, like uh, my, I have family tendency towards diabetes, metabolic syndrome, that sort of thing. So I know um, for myself that I have to, um, just kind of watch that and, you know, insulin resistance and all those things. I have to watch a little bit. I have to be concerned about that in my, in my own body. But I think that we're not truly healed with food until we can also incorporate those occasions of having delicious pizza yeah. or having a delicious chocolate cake. Because I, I can see myself, I can get really good at being super strict and controlled. Yes. <laughs> and never, but I, I think if I can't incorporate those things into my, into my nutrition and those moments into my life, then there's not a full healing around it. Um, you know, it, it all comes back to that awareness and awareness of my old programming and you know is it a case where I'm gonna eat a piece of chocolate cake and think oh, I'm screwed forever now and like yep. I get into this vicious loop of like yes. it sucks me right back into this self-sabotage or can I do it have the cake maybe I'm observing some interesting thoughts and feelings around having the cake but I'm observing it and I'm, I'm instead of getting all wrapped into it and sucked back into my old self-sabotage I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It's interesting that I feel a little bit guilty for having that cake, but that's okay. I'm also really enjoying it. I'm just going to allow that and observe it and watch it. And then in that place, I have a choice to choose differently and not to get back sucked in. So I, that, I think that's a big point for me is that true healing with our food is a lot being able to have those experiences. Yes. Mm -hmm. And being flexible too, sometimes, yeah. which yeah. is um, so important too, because if we, when I was in my most controlled and strict, even though I might've felt good while it was going on, it always came with a backlash. Like the more controlled and stringent I was, even just psychologically, you know, because mm -hmm. I feel like we can have mental deprivation. The more I wanted, you know, the more tightly wound I was, the more I wanted to go off the deep end as well. Because mm -hmm. I think that we can be flexible in our approach and then still choose foods that really make us feel awesome most of the time. And then when mm -hmm. we feel like it, when we're around people, or we just feel like having a freaking chocolate cake, we mm -hmm. can, and it's not mm -hmm. such a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Because we can mm -hmm. go right back into what we know makes us feel great. But that does take practice. And it does take, I think, sometimes not feeling so awesome to then make yeah. those deliberate decisions. Yeah. yeah, we have to feel that contrast, right? Absolutely. We have to feel the contrast between what doesn't feel so great in our body to know what feels great in our body. 
Exactly. Mm. So, In our mind. Yeah. Yes. So kind of changing subjects a little bit, but something that I'm really interested in something that has grown for me in the past couple of years is my idea of like the universe or God or whatever is out there. And I feel like you have a grasp on this as well. Um, it seems like you feel it, that you can kind of, uh, you know, listen to that inner voice. So what is your idea about, or how do you interpret the idea of like there being a source energy or Mm -hmm. kind of a loaded question, but if you could kind of talk about your interpretation of that. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I don't guess I'm very adamant about the words, the semantics, you know, like um, God, source energy, universe. I believe it's all one. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe there is only one, (laughs) one God, you know, you know, universal energy, source energy. I think it's all, all, all one. And it really, to me, it ties back to everything we've been talking about. And so I have this interesting visualization of, this is kind of weird, um, but like we're, I can be walking around and I have this Tupperware container around me with a lid on it. And the lid on the Tupperware container is sort of like the roller coaster I was describing earlier, mm-hmm. my busy thoughts about myself. <clears throat> and in the moments that I step into my seat of witness, everything that we've been talking about, witness, observer, all the same thing to me, but the moment I step into that space of witness or observation, I'm cracking the lid on the Tupperware container just a little bit. Mm. So there's a little connectivity to source to God. And it's only in that space in my personal experience that I have, you know, just really great connectivity to God to source. Mm -hmm. So but if I'm walking around in a sort of autopilot, you know, constantly, constantly (laughs) busy in my mind, then I'm sort of blocking that I'm keeping the lid on. But if I practice observing, observing myself, observing my space around me. It's in that space of observation that I'm connected to source more so than ever. That's beautiful. That's a great analogy too, because then it's, it also, it almost reminds me of like letting a light in. Yeah. Letting a light in. Yeah. And, um, I know that my own relation, I feel like we all have the, you know, potential and the ability to have that relationship because that's what I really think it is. It's, something that we can turn back to every day and something that really exists within all of us that we can all tap Mm -hmm. into. And if we have the curiosity to come back to it, it can really serve as a way for us to continue to be fluid because I love Joseph Campbell. Mm -hmm. And he says something like um, that we might have like this preconceived notion of what our path should be like. Mm -hmm. And that we have to do step one, step two, step three, step four. And again, that is easy and, you know, more controlled, but that isn't actually our path because our path hasn't happened and we live it every day as we, you know, continue to pave our own path that's specific to us. And it really helps me to have that sort of guiding force that Mm -hmm. helps me stay on that path. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just think of my life and my life's work as a co-creation. Exactly. It's like, and so even, even, you know, taking this week for myself, this personal retreat, I've been here writing since Sunday. And I think of, you know, not that I have to get away to be able to, to write and to co-create. Nobody has to, to do that, to be able to access that. But for me, um, it's just taking some, just putting a, a bigger intention on connecting with source and, you know, meditation, mindful awareness. It doesn't have to be a spiritual practice, but for myself it is because mm-hmm. I, I feel like as I establish that seed of observation, I'm tapping right into source. I mean, and, yes. and I just put that intention out there. That's I, and it, with my work, if I'm going to write a book or if I'm going to teach something, I really have no interest in doing it anymore unless it's a co-creation Yes. Like is, is because that's, I I just think that's, we're all here to, you know, how, there's so many different ways of saying it, but we're all here to sing our song. We're all here on this planet for a purpose. And in my own experience, it's a co-creation. And the more I intentionally choose to listen to God, to listen to source and to connect with and allow that to arise within myself, the more I know I'm living my life's purpose. Absolutely. And I relate to all of that so much. And it goes back to what you said before of like, what is the quality of this thought? You know, so something that's coming from that co-creation space, that energy feel can feel good and maybe peaceful, not Mm -hmm. even good, but it just has an energy that feels more joyful and peaceful versus the energy of some that a thought of a thought that maybe um, is not coming from that space and distinguishing that I think is really important. Absolutely. And and sometimes I think of it as there's, um, you know, maybe joyful, peaceful or grounded, but there's, there's a solid knowing. Yes. Yes. Just a knowing. And it may be, Oh, there's a solid knowing here. And this, I'm really, this makes me nervous. Like, Oh, but when you know, you know, you know, exactly. (laughs) I got to do this thing, but oh, I know, (laughs) I know. And it might not be the easiest thing too. That's something else that it might be something that requires more of us, you know, getting out of our comfort zone, growing. Will require that, right? Like I don't, and I've watched you over the past couple of years and like, I see, I've seen little changes that you're making and you're like stepping into new things. And like, I feel you. I I don't know. I don't, for my, for my own experience thus far. And I, what I've watched with you as well is there's a lot of that requiring, whoa, okay. Yep. Oh my God. I'm really nervous and I'm not, I don't know, but this is, I just know, like I got to do this thing. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so happy you recognize that because that's how I've been feeling. Yes. Um, Like doing all these new things, putting stuff out there. It's scary and it's not easy, but it's that knowing I'm going by the knowing of like, I can be comfortable and just sit at home and do things that just are easy or Mm -hmm. I can listen to that higher calling and you know have the shit scared out of me all the time but do it anyway because Mm -hmm. it's coming from that grounded place so thank you for acknowledging that yeah absolutely and I acknowledge it in you as well too with your growth in your business and writing a book and all those things that you're doing it's not easy but as long as we are coming from that place it is it brings a meaning to it and it kind of brings it all full circle yeah it sure does 
One more thing I wanted to ask you before we get to the quick fire questions is that I think your relationship with your husband is so cute. Like you guys are always together and it seems like you have such an amazing um, relationship and like a really deep connection. Um, Obviously, you have three kids, you have businesses Mm -hmm. together. And my own partner um, is my greatest teacher even Mm -hmm. though he's not spiritual necessarily, like he feels energies and things like that. Um, He's intuitive in that sense, but he's more Mm -hmm. like I'm way out there compared to (laughs) what he thinks. Um, So I'm just curious in your own relationship and maybe not even necessarily with your husband, how that can serve as a teacher and a mirror in your own life. Mm, Gosh. You know, I I just think that um, somehow we just get paired with these teachers that we'd need, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Dave is so humble and so kind and so um, softer spoken than myself, I'd say, Mm -hmm. and like just so um, grounded and always sees the positive and everything, you know, we might be in a scenario and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. I remember when I first started, we started dating when we were 16, by the way. Wow. Uh, and I remember I, I come from a very fiery family. Um, you know, I have, um, Mexican, you know, family, I have Italian and we're just very fiery. And I remember being with Dave, like this is a really vivid memory. We were on a date and the car broke down and like there was like stuff spewing from the engine and I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. We're pulling mm-hmm. over. He's like calmly like, huh, okay. Getting out and looking. I'm like, what do you mean? You're not going to like kick the car and start yelling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kick the car. I totally get that. Like, I was like, oh <laughs> my gosh, there's a problem here. <laughs> yes, aren't you going to do something? Don't you see? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, darn. Okay, well, we'll just see what we can do here. I'm like, oh my gosh, this man. Like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Um, And so that was just obviously something I needed to observe and learn. And I'm still observing and learning that from him. And yesterday I told him I was going for this hike and I'm the one that like has the GPS on and like freaking out and stressing out about my directions and how to get there. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that's like, turn that off. There's the mountain over there. Here's the side we need to be on that. that, Here's the direction the sun is setting. And like, so I told him, I said, you'd be so proud of me yesterday. I channeled my inner Dave. I turned off my maps. And I looked around and I felt my environment and my space and remembered what I had read about the hike. Guess what? I found it. There weren't even markers and I didn't have my maps. And um, yeah, but gosh, we have such a we have to do have such a great relationship. And sometimes I find myself. um, What's the word like feeling like not wanting to talk too much about that for fear of like making others feel bad, like kind of holding, dimming that down a little bit. Gosh, I texted him yesterday because we haven't been together. We usually always together. We work together. We travel together. Mm -hmm. And this has been a really interesting experience for me. And I texted him yesterday and I said, our relationship is a miracle. Like those are my my words to him. Like, and I just, I just feel that way. Like, I don't even know what else to say, but I think part of it is, um, you know, choosing it, choosing that too, choosing that day after day and, um, letting him be who he is and 
him letting me be who I am and giving total freedom to each other, um, you know, working through that space of fear and, you know, even jealousies or insecurities and just mm. letting our letting each other shine, I think is really, really where it's at. Yes. And at the same time, too, I think in relationships, we can expect things to be like sunny all the time and perfect. Yeah. And having those other moments of discomfort, even mm-hmm. within relationships are, I think, the juiciest part of it. You know, again, that part that allows us to grow. And sometimes we have a partner, like you're saying about Dave, that triggers these things in us that will allow us to grow to that next level. Absolutely. And continue to grow as the, as the relationship evolves. Absolutely. So yeah, I think that's, lot- that's awesome. <clears throat> Allowing that full spectrum, full spectrum, like we were talking about earlier, personally. Absolutely. You know, allowing, allowing those awkward, frustrating moments, like in embracing them as being part of our wholeness. Absolutely, 100%. not something wrong. You know, it's not exactly. something wrong because there's frustration and awkwardness and even anger and all that. There's nothing wrong because those things arise in yes. a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, that there's this like perfectionistic, uh, expectation about how we should be in our relationships. But I think that going back to what you just said of having the full spectrum is really what also makes you appreciate the moments that are amazing Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're also a big reader of books. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm a huge, you know, reading fanatic and, I'm just curious, what have been some of the greatest books or authors that have allowed you to, um, you know, know all of these amazing things that you that you do? Mm-hmm. Well, I mentioned Dan Siegel. Yes. And I'll just have to mention him as definitely currently as one of my biggest inspirations because I'm a science nerd. I, I love I love science um, and I, I love the blend of science and spirituality. I don't think there's a lot of people who have done that successfully, you know, blending the two, mm-hmm. but he is someone who is so solid in his science rather than being pseudoscience-y. He's very, so- he's very solid. And he, um, in my opinion, has tiptoed into the spiritual realm. He has a book, I believe it's called the mind and he has one called the mindful brain um, they're also both on Audible, and he's a narrator, and he's fantastic. <clears throat> so he's been a very, really big inspiration. Gosh, um, you mentioned Pema. Oh, yes. I love Pema. Pema has a—I don't know if you've heard it or not—but she has a. I think I got it on Udemy. It's an audio course, mm-hmm. and I believe it's called the the courage to choose something different. Oh wow! I haven't heard of that beautiful oh I love that that's been very inspiring to me I love all the old school Wayne Dyer oh god me too oh gosh right now I'm looking at I have I can see clearly now yes his book sitting right here on my desk Um, such an inspiration and I think even more so than his actual words just the energy of his delivery and just Mm -hmm. him there's something so warm and trustworthy in his his teachings that I just, I just love, I yeah. love him. Um, yeah. He's oh, like, this is how it is guys. So no need to worry, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Love it. Yeah. So great. Um, those, are the, those are the 
biggest right now. That sounds great. For me. Um, yeah. And people are always asking me, you know, places where they can get started. So I think those are some great resources. I'll put them all in the show notes. Um, so now I have just a couple quick fire questions. We're getting to the end of our time. Um, what are your favorite fruits and vegetables? Oh, since we talk about real food so much. Fruits. I love blueberries. Mm. Those are my, that's my favorite fruit. I love mango too. Oh yeah. We're coming up on mango season here in Miami. Yes. Um, my favorite veggies, gosh, up at the top would have to be Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. Brussels sprouts and hmm, there's so many choices. <laughs> I know, and they're all so good. <clears throat> Asparagus. Yes. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. So yes. if you were told that you could only have <clears throat> one more meal, like you're like, this is the last meal I'll ever have, what would that yep. be for you? That would be, oh, I'm sorry, <clears throat> a little tickle in my throat. Oh, that's okay. That would have to be without question. Dave, my husband, his homemade pizza. Mm, oh, I've seen you post about it. It looks yep, really he, good. Oh, that, that's it. No question. <laughs> and last question that I always ask everybody, what is the greatest piece of advice that you've been given before? Another oh, loaded one. Oh, the greatest piece of advice that I've been given. Or oh, the one that resonates actually, with you the most, the one that's given you the most lessons? Hmm. That is such a hard question. I know. Right now, what's coming to mind is the simple advice of love yourself. Yes. (laughs) And I think because that one's been such a big journey for me, the one, as I said earlier, that I wanted to dismiss. (laughs) Yes. I can intellectually get all of this stuff, you know, taking care of myself, self-nourishment and blah, blah, blah. And the self-love, I just sort of swept under the rug. But I'm learning the power of that and how it affects my ability to love others. A hundred percent. And kind of if we can learn to, you know, give ourselves that love, then a lot of other things fall into place by default. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we don't have to, I feel like with those of us who have trouble learning that or practicing that, we try so hard in the other areas. We put effort into them and we are rigid with ourselves. But if we come from a place of self-love, then those things come naturally and by default and kind of seamlessly into our lives. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. So thank you so much for being on the show with me, Stacy. This yes. was awesome. This so was so fun. good. I had a great yeah. time. So tell people where they can find you online and kind of what you have going on right now. Yeah. So our website is yogaproject.com. And in addition to our you know big schedule of classes that we have in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at our three studios, We have our teacher trainings going on. We're um, coming up for this year. We just got done doing a training in Bali. We have coming up in July. We're going to Costa Rica and then we're going to back to Thailand in the fall. Mm. So typically what we do with those programs is we have a teacher training um, format and then alongside the teacher training format, we invite people to come for personal retreat. 
So what that looks like is they come and they do the meditations and the asana, the yoga practices alongside us. And then they have free time during the day while we're doing the other teacher training sessions. Okay. Um, I have something, if anyone's interested in just beginning like the, the nuts and bolts of yoga along with mindfulness, we recorded a course this past year online with a platform called edx.org. And the course is the science and practice of yoga. And it's a free six week. Well, it was designed as a six week course. Um, but it's there to access if anybody just wants to take a course where you'll have video instruction on basic yoga posture, basic um, different types of meditations. You'll hear actually Dan Siegel is on that. We interviewed many oh, wow. authors. Okay, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, so Rick Hansen, um, Dan Siegel. Uh, let's see. Anyway, there's Kristen Naff. There's several people on there that are really um, leaders in psychology and in the mindfulness aspect of psychology. Um, but it's a free six-week online course. And the way you access it is yoga MOOC. That's Y-O-G-A-M-O-O-C dot com. And if you start there, go to that website and you can get to the course, which just has tons of information. And we guided the course and an instructor led course. Um, but right now it's just sitting there where you can access all of the content, but you won't have instructor interaction, but it's still really fantastic if you want to just get in there and use the videos and different lectures and such. Perfect. That sounds like a great starting yeah. point for people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you again, Stacy. It was so good to talk to you. Yes, you too, Ashley. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Heart Food Podcast. To find the show notes for this episode, visit ashleypardo.com. Follow Ashley on social media at Ashley K. Pardo. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your family and friends and give us some love by subscribing and leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes. 